I'm not contagious, I'm well, but just in case you're nervous, if you really like the class tonight and want to compliment me, there will be no complimentary hugs or kisses. I've been, not, not, I can't, I've been doing lozenges all day, so this would not be here tonight. I've been doing Fisherman's Friend. You ever tried Fisherman's Friend? Go get, go get maximum strength Fisherman Friend, and you put it in your mouth, and it makes wasabi feel weak. <laughs> it'll, it'll open it up. Let me tell you what. It liquor, sometimes, I don't know what the flavor, but if you're looking for something, man, I just can't. Um, but Karen just said, you need to keep liquid on your throat all day. Not happening. So I don't know of a, of a worse way to start a class than the way I started this class. We started it, introduced it, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to take a four-week break, and we did. But Nathan and Moya were worth every bit of that, so I don't regret that. I'm not even going to apologize for it, but um, that's what, if you're new to this thing, and that, that's basically what happened. So tonight, we're going to return to the class, and we're going to take a we're going to take a break again. Eddie just doesn't like the work. Um, <laughs> next week is Thanksgiving. And so um, we always, on that Wednesday, do not have this class because so many people are tied up with family. This series that we are in is entitled Unoffendable. It is taken from a book written by a man named Brant Hansen. And there's a video series that accompanies it. In our first lesson, we looked at video number one, and then we had discussion about it. Typically, or what we are supposed to do tonight is watch video number two and have discussion from that. But I don't think that's a good idea. And the reason is, is I don't feel like we finished last time. And you probably don't remember, but I just felt like we watched this video well, you might could say we opened up a can of worms and take those take worms home and figure them out. And I felt like we left with a lot of questions. We left, we had a lot of good discussion. And I think it's good to wrestle through stuff. So I don't I don't regret that at all. But I felt as though I wanted us to, since it's already been four weeks, review what we learned, what we heard, and then figure out how to work through those challenges that first video gave us because that first video gave us due to his first point it's counterintuitive it gave us this whole wait 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 a minute I don't know about that it kind of gave us that feeling remember so but first before we do that and I'm, I'm gonna I, I'm going to um, talk for a while but I would I'm, I'm delighted if you have a question or I want to make a comment, so interrupt me, yes. I, I just have a comment. I didn't see that first video, and it's been such a long time, I wonder if it might not be a good idea to show both the videos when we start again. Oh, uh, huh. that's, okay, if you didn't see it, yeah, that's not, yeah. I, I have the book, I bought the You know, book. I could have shown, I wonder how many of us, if I had shown the first one tonight, would have remembered that we watched it five weeks ago. <laughs> Maybe not that much. Really? <laughs> not, not a bad idea. He is... So, I, I want to just talk about... So, well, I'll, I'll just open up with the question. What are we aiming at? What are we aiming at? 
Our goal is to learn to be unoffendable, and that means what? You need to do this on Sunday morning. That you need to do this on Sunday morning. Yeah, I know this is the choir, right? <laughs> Preaching to the choir. Need to be at church. Great peace, great peace have those and who's now I can't even say it. Great peace have they which love thy laws, and nothing shall offend them. Wow, say that again. Everybody listen really well. If you hear nothing else, this is this this perfect. Great peace have those who love thy laws, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Nothing. And peace. And they ruled by peace and by the word of God. That's that's powerful. Man, I don't even think he brings that up in the series. I read the whole book and I don't remember him bringing that up. Why did he not include that scripture? My stars. <laughs> Somebody beat that. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And ah, okay, good, very good. See, that's pretty clever too, Jeff. That's good. I have it highlighted. Have it highlighted. We're coming to that. I'm not sure it beats that, but he did say forgiveness is a lifestyle. So I think we need to try to get to that where it's more of our nature to respond to people in a loving, forgiving way instead of like being offended is a lifestyle. So right after last time's class, we were at Sam's. And in the parking lot, as we were leaving, three times, I was like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be unoffendable. <laughs> and then the next few seconds, oh, my, oh, I'm supposed to be See, See what happened? That's what happened to me and Karen yeah. when we read the book. We were going, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about this. I'm not, but at the end of it, it, it made us think in our activities with others. It really did. And, um, uh, in, in Baton Rouge, the traffic is worse now. And it really made me think, because I was, uh, really. So, so um, I came across a definition of unoffendable from a very respected contemporary scholar whose name is Taylor Swift. <laughs> now, she actually has something to say about being unoffendable. I don't um, endorse Taylor Swift. I don't know her to like her. I don't know her to dislike her. If you played a song of hers, I wouldn't know that it was Taylor Swift. So if she's the most vulgar person out there, then um, I probably shouldn't be using her as an example. But um, I don't think she is. I, I know mostly about Taylor Swift because she's dating a guy that's a receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. But I was thinking, well, you hear about her everywhere else. You might as well try to bring her up on a Wednesday night class, too. I'm embarrassed to say my wife told me about this, so I didn't know she listens to Taylor Swift. But somehow she maybe heard about this from her friend. Then she's okay. She, she told me. Sorry? She's okay if Karen's listening to her. Oh, okay. But you don't listen to her. She has a song that is entitled, she has a song that is entitled, Shake It Off. Oh, just, just wait, just wait. Going to do that, going to do that. Um, and that is another way. I'm trying to think, what other words? What are we aiming at? We're aiming at learning to be unoffendable, learning to 
shake it off. And so, um, well, I, I said, what does she really mean to buy that song? So I went to the most trustworthy source of information on the internet, and I found this. In interviews, I'm just quoting from what I read. In interviews, Swift has stated that Shake It Off was inspired by the negativity she faced online and in the media. She has spoken openly about the ways in which she has been criticized and judged through her career, particularly for the way she handles her dating life and her friendships with other, other celebrities. Rather than, now listen carefully, rather than hiding or lashing out. You see, you get offended. How are you going to respond? Well, one way is to lash out. Another way is to get the cold treatment and hide or, or stay away from them, ignore them. But rather than hiding or lashing out, Swift has decided to channel her frustration into her music and create a song that would inspire her to rise above negativity. What does it mean to be undefendable? To rise above negativity that we face. Uh, to not lash out, but, but also not to hide from it. Oh, to rise above negativity, and then she says, and embrace themselves fully. We as followers of Jesus say, no, not necessarily embrace themselves. I don't want to embrace Eddie fully, or Eddie might kill somebody. Um, but I think we should say, embrace Christ in me fully. And I keep quoting, in the song she sings about the ways she has been criticized and judged by others, but she asserts, listen to this, that she will not let their opinions define her. To be undefendable means I'm not going to let the negativity that comes to me define me. So it's, wow, this is pop music, maybe something here. Um, the lyrics of this song have resonated with many people, particularly those who have experienced bullying, harassment, or criticism in their lives. And evidently in the lyrics of this song, I looked at them, I can't remember, but it's something like haters are going to hate, gossipers are going to gossip. You just got to learn to shake it off. And so, since she learned how to channel her frust frustration through this song, I thought, let's try that. So I'm going to show the music video of her singing and dancing this we're going to stand and then we're going to sing along and the dance the dance movements are actually symbolic of showing you how to shake it off okay so let's stand that's what it means shake it off um what else does it mean what are we aiming at i had a friend in Prague, American missionary in Prague. I don't know why I can tell you that part, but she used to say, she taught me and Karen this phrase, which, which defines what it means to be unoffendable. She says, you know, some people just need to pull their pants down and slide on the ice. <laughs> it's a visual. That's a visual. The visual is an, an ice slide and a bare bottom going down that slide and the point of pull your pants down and slide on the ice is chill out our culture he, he says it 
we are uh, we are not we are in a highly toxic we live in an anger incubator in the book he says this I don't know if he said it in the video I can't remember we have embraced the anger culture uh, our sensitivities are very heightened we're very heated we need to learn to be unoffendable to pull our pants down slide on the ice that's what we're aiming at all right so when you get offended start singing shake it off and pull your pants down. or <laughs> we pull your pants down and look for a slide filled with ice <clears throat> another way i would describe it joe mitchin a dear dear elder in the church in baton rouge he died he died right when COVID broke out. I remember because I just remember. Um, he he was a very protective friend of me and Karen. We were brand new kids, and he he really watched over Karen. And when I moved from youth minister to missionary, and then into preacher, he really really held on to us tightly, and. He, he would give Karen and me both advice, but especially to Karen, he says, you just need to grow thick skin because you're going to take hits. So being undefendable doesn't mean you're not going to have offense come your way. Uh, and as and you just you, if you haven't been a preacher's wife, you may understand this, but it's, it's not always an easy position. And so to be unoffendable means to have thick skin. That means whatever happens, it's not getting in. It's not getting in. Or we also often can say, um, you, you let it bounce off. Be a duck. So there, there's another, I, I don't know why I thought of all of these, but uh, taking too long to get into our text. But, um, we have a contemporary phrase now that we use that I think also define being unoffendable, and it would be just said like this, don't be a snowflake. Maybe you've heard about snowflakes. What does that mean? I think I know what it means, but I thought, well, maybe I don't understand it. So I went to the dictionary, and it talked about these little um, particles <laughs> that are frozen. No, that's not what I'm looking for. What's the slang? And the slang said, Three things about snowflakes. It's a derogatory, I quote, a derogatory slang term for a person, implying they have an inflated sense of uniqueness, an unwarranted sense of entitlement, or, this is really what's closest to what we're looking at, or are overly emotional, easily offended, and unable to deal with opposing opinions. They just freak out. Easily offended. They're offendable. And I think probably as I said that, pictures of people came to mind. That it's just, it's uncomfortable. You feel like you're walking on eggshells with them. You just, you never know when you're going to hurt their feelings again. And it's, it's crazy because sometimes the rules are always changing about how those feelings might get hurt today. And you never know from today to day. And what's kind of awkward about it is it seems as though sometimes um, you can feel a bit manipulated or an attempt to be controlled.
by how they're going to react. I think this is really relevant, this topic. I appreciate Rick Oden for suggesting the book to me. And I don't think he said, Eddie, here's some random thing. I think because Rick realized, hey, this is, this is very real in our nation, in our world, in our churches, in our families. We are, we are in a, we live, he wrote, I quote, in an anger incubator. And it seems as though there's more the, you should respond. You're entitled to be offended and to retaliate. I, I feel as though, as I thought about this, COVID just seemed to take whatever emotions we have and heighten the sensitivity of them. I felt as though here um, in this church even it was very difficult to do anything without hurting somebody's feelings. If you go this direction they're going to be offended. If you go this direction they're going to be offended. And We just need to get a big slide and put it up on the stage. <laughs> so everybody come up. <laughs> um, and then in the middle of, of that we had the political Trump Biden that just took those emotions and sensitivity. Like I just saw people's emotions that I never thought they had so heightened during COVID. Then you add that political piece to it, it brought out even more. And then you take that George Floyd story and the Black Lives Matter that that worked through that. And we just became an anger-filled people in a nation, even in churches struggling to get along and then what was crazy in the name of solving our problems through our offense or being offended our attempts seemed to be counterproductive to solving the problems but just making it worse and adding fuel to the fire and I remember I remember when there were riots in um, what was it in Oregon and in Denver and burning buildings in Seattle. I remember there's when 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 that it was being said, this is wrong, it shouldn't happen. Those that opposed people saying this is wrong, it shouldn't happen, their response was we gotta understand why. Meaning something happened to them and so there's a sense of entitlement to them. They they, they have to respond. Uh I, I read an article in the paper surprised me by a writer that is usually doesn't write in this nature in, in describing the Hamas Israel story right now um, you just got to understand why with Hamas and the years of this with Israel Not responding through offense doesn't mean what they've done is not wrong. It just means I'm not going to retaliate back. And I'm not saying Israel or I'm, I'm not making comments on that. But, um, man, we're, we're just we're feeling this already in our nation again. I, and I just I'll make a few more comments and then we'll jump into our text. I, I, I have a friend of mine who's a minister, used to be, isn't anymore. And he and I correspond, and I told him what I'm doing. 
in his class. We always tell each other what we're doing. And he said, oh, that's interesting, that unoffendable, I'll have to read the book. But he wrote these words, and I quote, I have long thought and taught and questioned on why Christians seem, seem to so often respond with anger. Also, anything they don't like that their church or another church or another Christian or their elders, that whatever they don't like, they say, it offends me, so you can't do it. And he writes, it's a manipulation. It's an abuse of power. Ironically, the self-proclaimed weak Christian controls with his power of weakness. Certainly an abuse and misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 8-12. through You have to read that to understand the context. And then he closes with, is, is that their view of God, that he is constantly getting offended, and so they should too. And so I think there's two extremes there. There is the extreme of just being hypersensitive and just going off um, too sensitive. And the, But the other extreme is just being insensitive. No, I don't care. I'm going to say what I want and do what I want. And if you get your feelings hurt, well, you're just a baby. So there's those, there's those two extremes. <clears throat> and so I asked myself, As I was thinking about preparing for tonight, before I go back to what this guy said, what does the Bible say about this? Of course, he's talking about Scripture, but I really strictly was looking at this word, offendable. What is, where does the word offend or offended show up? So I, just, I thought, let me go there, and maybe it'll help, maybe it won't. And it was insightful and to some degree helpful, it was worthy of sharing with you. <laughs> so, um, it shows up more often in the New Testament, in the New Old Testament. The word um, appears 35 times in the New Testament. I didn't count in the Old Testament. I don't think more than 8 to 10. Obviously, it's a Hebrew word and a Greek word. But I, one, one particular example is in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. Hmm. That verse you quoted, it's like, that says it all. Why even talk about anything else? And I didn't even find that one with the word offense. I guess it, I guess it sometimes depends on the translation. Uh, it, it says in Proverbs eighteen nineteen, a brother offended. That means you could translate that trespassed against. It means you've trespassed against me. You have done wrong to me. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle in here he means to be hurt and as a result of my hurt i i um i, I become quarrelsome and unyielding it's like i throw up a barrier a defense wall and then it comes up many times you know if your right eye causes you to sin or if your right eye offends you it can be translated but in Proverbs 15, 12, no, excuse me, Matthew 15, 12, Jesus says, Jesus says, um, he's talking in this context that the Pharisees are there, evidently they're listening to the disciples are there, and he's, and I think, I'm pretty sure, I just pulled this one verse out, so I'm pulling out of context, I hope not. He, he's in this conversation of, these guys are kind of like, they're really pretty and clean on the outside, but they're dirty on the inside. And these guys heard that, and the disciples said to Jesus, 
do you do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? That they were offended. Which is interesting. Before Jesus said that, did he know they would be offended? Yeah. But he said it. So, he, he's not tippy-toeing. I don't know if there's anybody more sensitive and compassionate than Jesus. But there were some words that he used and names that he named. Um, he spoke truth knowing it would offend. So he was not necessarily politically correct, nor did he cater to it. But he was filled with compassion at the same time. I think that's just interesting. Um, but that word is used there. And then in Matthew 13, 57, there's many, many New Testament examples. I'll just grab two of them. You know, Jesus in Nazareth, and he grew up in Nazareth. He does a few miracles, doesn't do many. And he leaves and just people, are, it says, um, they took offense at him. So, what does that mean? So I thought, okay, what does that mean? The, um, the Greek word for that, and I'm only sharing that with you so you'll know how smart I am. Is <laughs> skanda, and I'm giving you so That's the verb, skandalizo. <clears throat> um, so, what, I go to blueletterbible.org. Anybody can go there, so don't be impressed with me at all. Um, this is the verb form. There's a noun form, skandalon. Um, it, the, the definition is in response to what someone else has done. Because of what someone else has done, it means to become indignant. What does that mean? It means to become displeased. Or it means to stumble. You know those passages cause someone to stumble? Scandal leads up. Um, to get caught in a trap. Or maybe more to step into the trap. Cause to trip and to fall, to entice and to sin. Is something someone does something I don't like, and I I react in those ways. And so we get from that word. <clears throat> what word? Scandal. Scandal. So to be undefendable, if you were just being really strict with the word offend and offendable, it'd be scandalizo, scandalon, and that means to be scandalized if you were offended. Well, what does that mean? Um, what do we mean by scandal? What is a scandal, or what does it mean to be scandalized? Shocked. Shocked? Notice how you're hesitating to answer. Because I, 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 I did, as, soon, as soon as I thought about it, I think, oh yeah, I know exactly. Wait, wait a minute, what do we mean by that? Fred, and then, okay. To discover unacceptable behavior. To discover unacceptable behavior only? Well, I'm just, that would be a skin, a skin <coughs> example, not only. To discover <clears throat> unacceptable behavior to the level of shock. Would you add that? Yes. Yeah. To offend them, someone's moral sense of something. Okay. If, if you have scandalized me, you have done something that offends my moral sense of what is right and wrong, and it is it's bothering me. I'm scandalized. Uh, 
scandal, an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage or just outrage in you. And so now the question is, who's, who's, who's the standard bearer of what's morally right or wrong? So you're scandalized by this, you're scandalized by that. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's the biblical sense of it. Um, I only mentioned, so, so just put that in your mind <coughs> with that word. I, I read the whole book and he never brings this part up. That doesn't mean, I don't mean that critically. Um, I think more important than all of this is since we're looking at his book, we should ask what does he mean by that? Uh, so do you remember? He defined, here's what I mean. What did the author, what does the author mean by unoffendable? Do you remember what he said, what he stated? I mean, it was only five weeks ago. <laughs> and you didn't even get to watch the video. <clears throat> okay, well, I remember. <laughs> and Kathy remembers because she's the star student because she brought notes with her from last time. Raise your hand if you brought notes. Ah, ah. Do you, do you have notes from what he means by that? If you don't, it's okay. I'm trying to remember what my notes meant. <laughs> That's okay. I don't put you on the spot. Well, the anger of men doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Yeah. I just think that, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we give up our right to anger, that we shouldn't be angry. We should stop being angry by the end of the day. Those are the things I remember. Yeah, so, so key word. Key word is dealing with anger. Anger was like his main thing. To be unoffendable, and this is where we really struggled, is to not let these things cause anger in me. But wait a minute. Hold on to that. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, let me just give you a summary from what I remember from my past two or three days of looking back over it. <laughs> Do not let the negative actions of others bring you down to their level and affect you negatively, even to the point it takes control of you. So you, they may be down and they may be coming against me, but I'm not coming down to their level. I'm going to be unoffendable. And um, some people are in bondage. They have been offended and they have let it take control of them. And it's been like that for years. And they're in bondage to that. Um, not let the actions of, yes. Can we be angry and sin not? So, a great, great question. Great question. Can we feel anger but not take it to the We point? already discussed that in the last class. <laughs> well, I wasn't there. I didn't read the book. Should have been there. Robert, I wasn't here, so go ahead. <laughs> Don't get offensive. No, we're, we're getting ready to go there. We're getting ready to go there. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you mad. See, what, <laughs> see, see how you will respond. <laughs> Not let the actions of others cause you to hold anger against them, but instead learn to forgive. So it's two big key words. Anger and forgiveness. Yeah. So he's really, he's really honing in on that. Um, not letting anger towards others consume you. You ever seen that happen with people? Mm -hmm. Has it ever happened with you? Not letting the hurts and wrongs of others. Oh yeah. 
he didn't say this, I thought of it. Um, so if it's stupid, then give me credit. To not be, I hope I can say it's right, to not be a thermometer, but to be a thermostat. The thermostat is inside the house. You set it and you control the temperature and the climate within. Regardless of what's going on, on the outside, this is what's going to be on the inside. A thermometer adjusts according to the climate. To be offendable means whatever the climate is, most my emotions are going with that. He says, don't do that. You be who you are and you control that within. Um, so, so really, this is a class about dealing with anger. This is a class about learning to forgive. And I thought, well, as I read the book and he said, this is what we're talking about, I thought, can you talk about that too much? So I thought, let's, let's study that. So that is our goal for the class. So in the book, <clears throat> he made, uh, in the video, I remember uh, from my notes, um, he made three points, three basic points. Number one, this idea of being unoffendable is counterintuitive. Okay. Um, what does that mean? What? What is? Why? Why? Do you feel that's counterintuitive? How is it? In what ways? I'm asking this now. Are we taught, or what ways do our instincts tell us to be offended and angry? How is what he's teaching and sharing different than what we're used to thinking and hearing? How is it counterintuitive? Eddie, in the Old Testament, we read about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's counterintuitive. Uh -huh. to, to that. To that. So, so it makes me think of C.S. Lewis in Mary Christianity. He talks about, he appeals to this natural law. And like, I don't have to, one of the keys that God exists is because a two-year-old knows when something's taken, it's not fair. They don't have to be taught that. Something's not fair, right? So it's counterintuitive to our own nature that we know, we understand what's right and wrong. And so to not flash out and say, that's not fair, and be offended at that by something being taken from you, that's our natural reaction, right? To something that we know is not fair. Yeah, I right? watched it last week with a four and five-year-old. Right. Nobody ever said, William, when Charlotte takes your toy, you hit her. <laughs> He's never been taught that. It just happened. It's counterintuitive to say, wait a minute, William, there's another way to do this. Yeah. I think the epitome of the counterintuitiveness are two examples that we have in the Bible. One of them was Jesus on the cross and Stephen being stoned. In both cases, the anger of the mob was evident. But also in both cases, they prayed and asked that please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think when we get to that point where we understand that the person that offends us really doesn't realize what they're doing, they're moving on emotion and not logic, then we can have a sense of forgiveness and not counter anger. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to see this when we come back from Thanksgiving. He's going to say, I'm, I'm reading the Gospels. It says in the book, it says in the video, I can't remember. And I just know, this is when Jesus just loses it you have to he just maintains composure but wait we're going to go to the temple story in a minute all right um but at the cross 
when he was being the most greatest way abused, he wasn't. Was he scandalized? Yes. How did he, was he, did he act offended? Not, not in this sense, I guess. How is it counterintuitive? What does our culture teach us? Stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. Revenge. Revenge. Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. <laughs> a lot of times I think I have trouble distinguishing. We're talking about being offended. You talk about drivers, you get out there and see these crazy drivers. I don't feel like <laughs> I Just a minute, Fred. Hello. <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but a lot, I, drivers don't really offend me. But boy, they frustrate me. You know, the guy that doesn't know how to make a right turn on a red light, or if they have an acceleration lane they can go into, it drives me nuts. In, inside, I mean, I don't honk the horn, I don't get out and go beat on their car, and it frustrates me. But I don't, the offense, I think there's a line there to where you know, we, yeah. we use that too often to think, and that guy's offending me by not following the traffic laws. Actually, he's just frustrating me because I want to make my right turn and he doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> I, I, I must say, I struggle to keep that from getting inside of me. And even sometimes having thoughts and expressions and word and even behavior is inappropriate. Why? Uh, pardon? Why? Pride, probably. Right there. Yeah. Self-pride. I, um, I always tell myself, like I've never made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? I ask myself when I see that kind of thing. Uh -huh. I ask myself, Kathy, like you've never made a mistake. Yeah. He's going to talk about that later on in the book. That Wait a minute, who are we to be offended when we, we commit the same offenses, but ours are different? Well, I mean, I've, I mean, if you're talking about driving, I can be a really great driver, but I've made mistakes, you know. Right. I don't think I'm really getting worried about this. I don't get mad at people for driving, and I think I'm the one that gives you guys the fodder for getting mad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it seems like I'm the one that people are talking at. So oh, yeah. I may be the one. <laughs> maybe me. Don't you know how to make a right turn? It may be me, you guys. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember a car that was cutting me off. And it wasn't going to happen because it was a nice Cadillac. Who do they think they are, these rich people trying to push their way in front of me? So I pushed up and pushed up. They pushed up, pushed up. I got in front of them. I looked in my rearview mirror, and there sat one of our church members. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if she recognized me or not, but that Sunday morning, I confessed that to her publicly. Um, there's a feeling in our culture of being entitled. I should be angry. As a matter of fact, if I'm not going to be angry in this offendable way, then I'm letting you get away with something. Um, by not responding, it's almost like it's okay. But no, it's not okay. 
Um, and so I have to respond, are you going to think it's okay? Um, he also says anger offers a sense of moral superiority, this righteous anger. Um, and pride is an instinct that drives it. Yeah, that, I just confess that. Robin? Somewhere in my learning, I, I heard the expression that revenge is a luxury that Christians are not allowed to afford. Because vengeance is a lord. And when we're talking about being, you can be offended, but not to the point of stumbling yourself. Not you, there is a, not to the point of turning around and saying as bad as the person has sinned against you. And and I think that one of the things that, like you say, if you're in control, you're able to think about before you do something like that to where you, like you say, you've just you've just gone to their level, to the same level. And and then you're standing in jeopardy with the Lord because what you're doing is every bit as bad as what they did, you know. Um, right. We're, we feel entitled to what we're not entitled to. Um, he says one reason is because it's, anger has become a national sport. Some people use anger to punish people. You've done something wrong, and you need to know that, and you need to feel it, so I'm going to treat you with my anger to punish you. I see spouses do that to spouses. I'm seeing spouses right now do that to spouses. And, the, and these are Christian church-going spouses. Um, so our culture, let's, let's go to this word anger for a bit, because this is where we really got hung up. Our culture is counterintuitive. This, our culture says, whoa, 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 whoa. There are times when you're supposed to be angry. And our culture says there's a right anger and a wrong kind of anger, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So what's the wrong kind of anger? <laughs> Self-destructive? Self-destructive anger. What, what does it look like? It's an anger that is... Out of control. Out of control. Harmful. Harmful. Hurtful. Violent. Violent. Name calling. Filled with vengeance. Abusive. Abusive. With the motivation to win. Long lasting. Long lasting. What's the right kind of anger? From our worldly point of, our human point of view. From our worldly point of view? Well, I don't know how to say this. Um, well, I'm right. Our world, our world, and even our church world says there to some. I think our church world says there's a good, there's a right anger. But what that kind of anger is that? What is that? Anger against the wrong. Anger against wrong. I'm angry against Hamas. I'm angry against that person who killed those people in Maine. I'm angry uh, against these things. Um, so the right kind of anger is. Um, to take a stand for what is right, to take a stand against what is wrong. Um, let, so let's let's go let's go to the Bible, Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty six. I want to get through at least. So, so this is our. It was already quoted by somebody in here. 
Oh, Robin did. This is our go-to verse to justify anger. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, it reads, In your anger, do not sin. So the implication is, it's not wrong to get angry, but if you're going to get angry, just make sure you don't sin. Now, other translations strengthen that point. The King James Version says, Be ye angry. That's a command. Be ye angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So we're commanded to be angry. Um, and he uses, it's interesting, he uses two words, anger and wrath. Those are the two basic words for the New Testament for anger. We're going to look at those in a minute. Then um, the, the author, I don't know why I'm point, pointing back there, um, Brent Hansen, I think is his name. Um, he, he, he loves Eugene Peterson, as I do, who translated the message. But he says, I don't like this translation. It's which reads, go ahead and, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to get angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And so the point of Eugene Peterson is it's okay to be angry, just don't do it in a way that shows revenge. Tim? So my translation goes the complete opposite. Oh, good. Let's hear it. So uh, I have the New Living, and it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Uh-huh. Okay. So, okay, yeah. So my mind is racing to the Greek text there. Does it really say yeah, control? Or is that there, like Eugene Peterson did, this is what it means, so that's what I'll write. Yeah, but good insight. So he says to that, the guy says to that, we have made a mistake with this passage, and we have justified ourselves with anger because of that verse. And what was his, do you remember what his response to that was? Here's what it was. He said, uh, let me find it. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Basically, he says, you're supposed to get rid of it quickly. Is that right? Why get rid of something that's not wrong? Well, it festers. Huh? It festers. But it's wrong until it, it's right until it festers. Anger is an emotion. I don't think you can say anger is wrong. I think anger is a natural emotion. How you deal with that is yeah. definitely right or wrong. So the question I'm going to ask in a minute. Anger is not wrong. So the question I'm going to ask in a minute. Okay, let's just let's just look at some other scriptures on that. Um, wait a minute. Wait. Anger is not wrong. Yeah. Well, I got. Some, there's some scriptures that really challenge that, at least for me. Verse 27. Verse 27. So his was about verse twenty-seven. And give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so there's or, or what's another translation say? Don't give a foothold. Don't give a foothold. How does anger give a foothold to the devil? When you don't control your emotions. Sorry. Opportunity for the devil to come in. When you're not controlling your emotions, you're out of control. What a great opportunity for me to move in. What were you going to say for I just said it controls your thinking. Yeah. You make yourself emotionally vulnerable. And Satan has... Uh, um, so his point is, if something is okay to have, why are you supposed to get rid of it? Um, and keep in mind, that moment of anger, 
is a moment when you're giving the devil an opportunity to be really active in your life. Then, then he goes on to say, Can I ask a question? Is God angry? That's so, that, God, that's a, he's going to get to that. He got that. He's going to get to that. He's going to say, we make a mistake of conflating man's anger with God's anger. That's what he's going to say. I'm not asking you to agree with that right now, but we're going to talk about that. Um, but I would say yes. I would clearly say yes. <laughs> um, and then in chapter 4 and verse 31, if you keep reading that, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger go ahead, be put away from you. So emotion or not, it shouldn't be there. That's what I'm hearing. All right? Um, yes? Well, there's, there's two points of exactly what you said. One of them, Socrates told us that when emotion enters the room, logic leaves. So when mm. we get emotional, we cannot think logically. Mm -hmm. uh, on his part, God told Cain in Genesis 4, if you do what's right, you'll be honored. But if you do what's wrong, you, you're sitting sitting at the doorway and will take charge of you. So yeah. God told Cain before he even killed Cain gave in to his emotion. And God's telling him, don't give in to your emotion. Most of the time. Or should I say all the time? You're not going to make really good, wise, rational decisions in a moment of anger. Interesting thought. Well, let me give you a biblical definition. Okay. So what? So that is as I'm wrestling with this. What is anger? That's what we're asking, right? Okay. So <clears throat> go to the Bible. There are two words that are used here uh, in Ephesians chapter four and verse. 31, let all bitterness, here we are, wrath and anger, wrath and anger, there's two words here, they are thumos, uh, it's the first word, and it means passion, angry, heat, anger, boiling up, <clears throat> it can be translated and is translated in some translations as rage, outburst of anger, angry temper, fierce passion, and so I struggle to see it excluded only to an emotion. It seems to all having to be accompanied with a reaction to it. And then the English, uh, no, another Greek word that is more often used than thumos is this very interesting word, orgizo. Who would guess what English word we get from that? Organized? Huh? Organized. Wait a minute, we want to hear what Kay said. Orgasm. <laughs> Orgasm. Well, I mean, in, in the sense of an eruption. Who's offended? <laughs> <laughs> orgy. Orgy. Well, hey. <laughs> it, it. The word orgy comes from the word orgizo. That's where we get it. Greek and English are so fun. That's, that's why I enjoy it more than anything. Like, are you kidding me? So. Uh, now, Kay, would you like to explain to us what orgy means? No, don't. Um, <laughs> I don't I, uh, sexual intimacy. Beautiful. But then it goes to the level of an orgy. It's unleashed. It's unrestricted. It's uncontrolled. It's gone crazy. So take that emotion and transfer it into that 
anger emotion, or whatever word you use for that. That's the word. Or gid. So um, it it can mean it can mean um, literally is used for a piece of fruit. You ever seen this? That's been sitting around so long, it's starting to spoil, and then it cracks open, and the juices start coming out. It's just kind of exploding. You ever seen somebody like that? Yeah, I have made no disrespect to my mother. Um, every time she got angry at me, she didn't get angry at me enough. But every time she got angry at me, uh, whenever I think of this word, I think of mom. She would turn red. It was like all the blood would go to her head. Her eyes would go red. And her neck, you could just see her carotid artery. It's almost as the heartbeat looks like this. You just knew she's going to blow. Uh, <laughs> um, probably said, Edward White. <laughs> so those are. Thumos and Orgizo, the two words that are used throughout Scripture. So what I'm really wondering when we say, what I really wonder when we say, wait a minute, anger? Because I am angry at Hamas. I can't, I can't imagine not being. Okay, so, so, I'm really, Robin, Help me, help me through that. Okay. Help me through that, okay? I, I have a basic answer, but I'm really would like to get your input. You, because you're angry, you have identified something that is wrong. It's wrong. You know it's wrong in your heart. You know God's, you know, based on your understanding of the word and where you are spiritually, it's wrong. And so to me, Having anger can bring you to a point where you, if you keep it controlled, you can look for ways to right that wrong, ways to, to that would be uh, not sinning, but ways to find, fi find ways to right that wrong. And, and that's what anger, to me, that's, that would be the one good point about anger. Is that, is that you're able to identify something that you know is wrong, and, and otherwise we'd all walk around being passive about everything. Nothing would upset yeah, us. I hear you. There would be no right or wrong. But I hear you. But because we know what right and wrong is, we have to be able to identify it. And when it's so wrong, when it's heinous wrong, when it's so wrong like what Hamas did, you can't help but not feel something. Feel something. About it. But the biblical word anger is the word I'm supposed to, is whatever it is, it's supposed to but not be in me. And if it comes in me, it's supposed to go out. I'm not supposed to hold it. Because from the day Hamas started, I haven't let go of it yet. So what is, <laughs> what is it then? Right, right, right. That's what we're wrestling with. Tim, okay. get Well, getting back to Philip's point earlier about angers and emotions and what you do with it, as I look at, as I look at these verses here, in Ephesians, um, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, blah blah. Um, the it, it seems that the anger is going to come, but it's what you do with it. I mean, so this this whole thing with 
Hamas, you're you're angry with them, but do you do you dwell on that? Does that keep coming up and and saying you know to the point that it's uh, controlling you that, that you have this hatred toward them? You know that that is unhealthy. But you know the the fact that something wrong has committed and that causes something in you but if that no if that doesn't control you then and you're letting it go then you're not allowing the devil to get a foothold to use another one of the verses it's gonna happen and he does say that he does say in the video it's gonna happen so do you keep it or do you let it go if it comes get rid of it you keep it you're letting the sun go down on it that's sin Okay, my understanding is that <clears throat> Americans especially, but I mean, it's probably everybody. We have a lot of emotions, but we do not name our emotions properly. What you may be calling anger may be frustration. It may be bewilderment. It may be, um, you know, you can have some emotions name them differently and not let i mean we we choose the way we react and we get in the habit of reacting in the same way over and over again but we still can stop and choose the way we react are we frustrated with the world event and that drives us to our knees to pray or do we just let it raise our blood pressure and go around yelling and fussing about it and not doing a thing about it and you know what i'm saying so i, I think i we think need help. We need i, I think your mind is going down the track mine went down is our contemporary english usage english usage of the word anger perhaps is different than the than what we're reading about here in Scripture. Because the thing about it, other than God's righteous anger, He's going to say, in our next class, we'll see it was in the video. We may just watch that video, number one, again, since we're not through this time. Um, he's going to say, show me a Scripture that says man's anger is a good thing and you need to live with it and act out of it. Show me a Scripture that says that. Um, and so there's everywhere anger is mentioned it's always wrong now I understand there's disagreement there um, but and so um, the, the fruits of the spirit sound nothing like anger right well, or is anger more than temptation and the reactions out of it were the that, that's, an, that's in alignment with what Tim said it's going to hit now what are you going to do but hold on to that temptation say, I mean, our language could be so limited on how that when you have so many different Greek words for love, I, I'm surprised there's so few words for the nuances of why you could be angry. So, so let me, let me say this. You get cut off in a car. Let me say, I, I gave you two words on anger that I'm very familiar with. 
I cannot say with 100% certainty there are no other, for example, New Testament Greek words for anger. I don't think there are, but I couldn't, I couldn't guarantee that yet. All right. Um, so, um, Angela. So I wanted, I, I just felt like it was too important to miss Skip. And I was going to go further. I want, I want us to go to the second verse. It's often used for, see, we're supposed to get angry. Jesus got angry. We're followers of Jesus. Look at Jesus in the temple. That's, that's such an important story and passage to talk about. We're going to look at that when we come back. And... Um, and then you, your homework assignment and find a verse in the Bible that says find a verse in the Bible that says where the Bible does it say to get angry and speak and act out of that anger towards others is there a verse that says anywhere anger is a good thing human anger is there a verse anywhere he, he says we, we conflate these two. There, this just doesn't exist. I got a feeling, I, I feel as though the way we use the word anger in our American usage, contemporary usage, is not exactly the same as here because I still haven't given up my anger for some of these things, um, but I'm not feeling out of control either. Um, ah, it's already 7.30. This is, this is intriguing. Um, it's, it's, it's helpful. We're going to look at Jesus in the temple. Was Jesus in control? Did he lose his temper? Was he angry? Should we follow that example? What do we see in wisdom literature? And the alternative, the solution is to forgive. What is forgiveness? And he makes a point. He says forgiveness is really hard. Why is that so? Then, he's going to move into showing us one thing to say okay i'm supposed to be like this but how do you do that he's going to give some input on that let's pray father we thank you so much for your word and for the insight that it gives us and it, it truly is that double-edged sword that cuts deep within and makes us think it makes us struggle 
But God, more than anything, we, we want to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And God, our world so much needs peace. Our lives so much need that. And Father, I would guess that many of us, most of us, some of us here, battle, struggle with some levels of anger in our lives and act and speak and think in ways that are inappropriate. So we ask that you would take this struggle and this study and help to shape and to form us uh, into the people you've called us to be as peacemakers in this world of turmoil and fighting. Teach us what it means to forgive and to live every day with that in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.